Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And here we are. We're at a major milestone. This is actually the two-year mark of the podcast, and I am so, so, so excited. Thank you so much, man. Some of you were there at the very beginning. There's a lot more now than there were at the very beginning. But do you remember where it started? Uh, back in September of 2014, it started with a very gracious and kind Andy Stanley, who said, sure, Carrie, I'll help you out. And he was the very first episode, man, we've got 104 since then, plus some bonus episodes. And it's been an incredible journey. So I just want to start by thanking you, the listener, for being so encouraging. Man, the goal all along has been to help you lead like never before. We're up to almost 400 reviews on iTunes. You guys have been just amazing in letting me know how this is helping you do that. And I guess I was just in a place when I started this where I was having these conversations with great leaders, often at conferences or in green rooms or at lunch or, you know, a break here or a break there. And I'd be like, man, I wish everybody could hear that. And so it's been a dream of mine to get our elder board and our staff team and so many of you in on some of those conversations. And to be able to do that in the form of this podcast has been simply a thrill. So thank you so much to you, the listener. In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to celebrate you for a week uh, because as far as I'm concerned, you guys are the ones who make this happen. And you guys have a lot of questions. Uh, on my blog, kerryneuhoff.com, there's a little widget that allows you to leave a voicemail for me. I've got, I don't know, over 100. I got a ton of voicemails from you over the last few months asking leadership questions. And so Every single day between now and next Tuesday, which would normally be our next episode, I'm going to release a shorter episode called Ask Carrie. And I'm just going to go through as many of those voicemails as I can, little by little, about 20 to 30 minute podcasts for the next six days leading up to episode 105 a week from now. And so that's just a way of giving back to you, the listeners, to try to interact and answer some questions. In fact, here's what I'm going to do at the very end of this episode, after I'm done my interview with Casey Graham, uh, who I'll introduce you to in a moment, I'm actually going to cold call a listener, okay? Just like I set it up on Twitter. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to do a quick cold call and that will set up what the Ask Carrie format will be like. So hang on for that at the end. If you normally, as soon as the interview is done, you just stop. Don't, because it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see what happens, okay? And here's what I would love for you to do as, as a listener. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, would you do that? I mean, that's how I'm a big podcast listener. I don't just produce when I listen. And I'll give you an example. I just recently subscribed to Donald Miller's story podcast because he started that earlier. And it's a great podcast, by the way. And I would like get, you know, see it on email or social media and like, oh, I should listen to that. And then I never listened to it. And then one day he popped into my inbox because I subscribed to his stuff. And I'm like, that's it. I'm subscribing. And now when I'm on a ride, like I've listened to four episodes already. That was like three days ago. See, that's what subscribing does is if you've ever wondered like, okay, well, what does it do? It just means that automatically these appear in your inbox. They don't have to take up um, hard drive space if you don't put your settings that way. But that way, if you ever want to go back and listen to an episode, they're right there and you get the full library and guess how much it costs you? Nothing. That's right. It's free. So 
If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, would you do it? And then what that will do is that will set you up to receive every episode of Ask Carrie over the next few days as well. So I just want to thank you um, for all that you do, for all the encouragement. Man, I never thought the podcast would end up doing what it has done and reaching so many people. We just recently celebrated a million downloads. We are now 1.4 million downloads. And August was our biggest month ever. We hit pretty much 100,000 downloads in August alone. It's just crazy. So if this podcast has meant something to you, share it with people. And we're celebrating today. So we're going to celebrate by getting into a great interview with Casey Graham. He actually was not the first episode, but the very first interview I did for this podcast when I started back in the summer of 2014. And I'm not going to give the story away, but my goodness, this has been a fascinating interview. I'm so pumped for it. And we're going to talk about, really, what you can learn from entrepreneurs who started business and translate all of their lessons into the church world. So that's Casey Graham. He's coming up in just a few minutes' time. In the meantime, I just want to thank you, the listener. I also want to thank the sponsors that have joined us over the last few months. Thank you so much to EA Help. Thank you so much to Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And thank you so much to the Orange Tour, which, by the way, starts this week in Atlanta. You can go to orangetour.org if you want to jump on board with that this fall. And in the meantime... Let's jump into my interview with Casey Graham. He is the founder of The Rocket Company, now working on Business Rocket, and I catch up with him in this fascinating conversation. Well, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you probably know it's no surprise that I'm super excited to have Casey Graham back. Good friend, great leader, awesome person. Casey, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Carrie. You were like, I think you were my first ever podcast interview. Do you remember that day? <laughs> yeah, I do. That we was had fun. to reschedule, yeah, because yeah. Uh, something came up at home that was kind of urgent, and you're like, "No problem." And yeah, you were my—you weren't the first episode, but you were my first interview. So hopefully, I've gotten a little bit better since then. I like being the guinea pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. You do that well, man. Hey, you <laughs> had a, a big change in direction uh, over the last twelve months. So tell us about it. And hey, if people are hearing construction behind me. Our house is under construction. We're doing some renovations. So that's great. Pardon the noise. Well, um, for me, I sold a company called The Rocket Company, which is a company that helped pastors uh, grow their church through practical resources in the church space. And um, I did that for about nine years, uh, different variations, but it was almost a decade. And I sold it this past February and decided uh, to focus on uh, building more companies. Wow. So like what kind of companies are you building? I have a little bit of everything going right now. I have, I have some fun stuff. I've kind of just settled into my role. I got, what, the way I explain this to people is like, I felt like we established the city, we built the buildings and got all the plumbing in and everything was working. And then I decided to go West. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the so, rocket company is still running, totally. um, but yeah. I mean, giving rocket, preaching rocket, right. Volunteer rocket, worship rocket, they're all running, but it's just <laughs> different now. Totally. And yeah. yes, it's just totally, they've got uh, a new leader and it's running. And it's actually one of the highlights of my life was being able to build something that sustains after I left. And so I wanted to do that. I always wanted to grow and sell a company and it was good. So I've got a lot of different things going right now. Some are, some are interesting, some are working, some are failing, uh, but most <laughs> mostly on the business front. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking with somebody about opening a tattoo shop. I've got a, um, I've got a lead generation company for real estate, 
agents that's going. And the thing uh, tonight, I'm launching. I'm just a small partner in a company that teaches DJs how to actually make money as a DJ instead of just being a DJ. You're kidding me. No. So, in other words, there's lots of moss growing under your feet, and uh, you're not doing much with your life. Is that right, Casey? You know, it's that's kind of what I think. But I, I've embraced the role, though, Carrie. Um, you know, we're 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 taught to grow up and follow a path and do one thing and be faithful to the end. Yeah. And, that kind of thing, but um, it's just not how who I am or how I want to operate. Well, you and I have had lots of conversations over the years, and I mean, I would I would say that you fit the serial entrepreneur definition to a T. Like if you look up serial entrepreneur, I think your picture is <laughs> vying for space next to that. Is that how you would define yourself? Like you have a hard time sticking to something, right? Like uh, in the sense of. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean in terms of your gifts are best realized when you got a variety of things on the go at the same time. And it's yeah. new. It's new. Yeah. And I like I like I like starting and growing things. I don't like uh, running anything. Mm-hmm. And I used to feel bad about it. I mean, my family still thinks I'm a drug dealer. Like they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. I'm serious. They they literally they don't understand. What do you do? How do you do this? Because I was taught the good old fashioned way. You get a job, you get benefits, you grow up and, you know, somebody takes care of you. And if you start a company, you stay with it for 100 years and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. it's just like just not who I am. And honestly, for the first time in my life, I don't feel guilty about it or bad about it. I just embraced it that. I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I would say I'd say I'm just curious, and oh, I cool. love I love expressing that curiosity through starting companies. Well, I think I think that's really neat. So I'll tell you what, Casey. Here's our deal: right. in uh, 30 years, if you and I are still around, I'll give you a gold watch. Does that sound good? <laughs> All right. That's like, hey, you've worked long enough. I'm going to get you a gold watch, dude. Okay. Now, Casey, you know, you and I have talked about this briefly offline, but I have been listening to this podcast that you launched. How many months, like, when did you launch the Seven Figure CEO? 2015, about a year ago. It was been a full year. Okay. I think I've heard every episode. Yeah, I think we got about 45 episodes somewhere in there now. No, that's right. You're right. It has been a year. It feels less than that. But uh, I got addicted to it real fast, and I've pretty much binged listened. Fascinating podcast, um, just for listeners who haven't heard about it, and we're going to mash up a fascinating theory I have, and you can completely destroy it, okay? So if I get destroyed on this podcast and my ideas get destroyed, that's okay. But, I love it. Uh, I just think that what you're learning in the business space can teach those of us in the church space an awful lot. But you have two rules for your podcast. What is it? Number one is that you have ha- had to have grown, started and been the founder of a company that's grown past the $1 million mark in sales, or you're currently the CEO of a company. Number two would be no theory zone. It's all practical. I don't want high level. I don't want on, do the, what's the theory of entrepreneurship, or I don't want to even talk about business. Right, plans. right. I just right, want to know right. what's real. Exactly. And and people do that. I mean, you call them on it, right? And you've had a <laughs> wide variety of people on there. So you have to sustainably have grown a business past a million dollars in sales. Yep. And, um, you know, straight talk. Give us what actually works. So uh, what percent, I've always wondered about this. I don't know if you have stats for it, but what percentage of entrepreneurs break the million dollar mark? Uh, it's about 4%. Some, are, some wow. say 5%, some say 3 but it's about 4%. You know, when I was a kid, Casey, I always thought that entrepreneurs, like if you started your own business, like your own bakery or whatever, that you were just loaded. But, <laughs> you know, you had a lot of money. And then, you know, as an adult, I kind of realized, wow, a lot of these people, you know, they're squeaking out 30000 40000 a year for themselves. They might have, you know, a $100,000 business or something, but they're really just making a very average, sometimes below average 
wage. And you're telling me 96% of all businesses never cross the million dollars in sales or, you know, revenue mark. Totally. Yeah. And business, there's three phases. You start out making a living. And then if you're able to get past that, then it becomes what we call a lifestyle business where you okay. can sustain a lifestyle. Uh, it won't grow without you, but it uh, it will run without you. And then the last is a lasting business. And those are the ones that you read about, the the Walmarts, the Cokes, the, right. the big businesses that are lasting. And so that's the three phases of businesses. And they're actually mirror very closely to how churches grow as well. Yeah. And that's what I'm fascinated by. So let's drill down on that because I hear that in a lot of the podcasts I listen to. People talk about a lifestyle business. So just help us because there's no lifestyle church. I mean, you gave up your lifestyle to go into ministry. I get that, folks. But define what a lifestyle business is, because a lot of people are happy staying there, right? At a lifestyle business. Totally. Uh, A lifestyle business, the way we describe it is it runs without you. So what it means is that you've got a couple staff. uh, It could be up to, if you're a restaurant, it could be 10 staff, whatever. Right. But the business will produce sales and and the, the delivery of the business will happen whether you are present or not. And the lifestyle business, basically, it just frees up your time and uh, allows you to do the things that you have always wanted to do. You might get to travel or build a cottage or something. Yep. It doesn't really build what big wealth. It builds the new wealth, which is time freedom. Okay. Interesting. So the first, let's go back to the first stage. What defines that in your startup phase? It's the business is totally dependent on you? Totally. A living business is dependent on you. Sales, delivery, all of it is dependent on you. And you may have a couple part-time people or some people helping you, but basically all the people you said, hey, when I grew up, I met these people and they've got their own business. Mm. 95% of 90% of them, at least nine out of 10, they basically just didn't want a boss. Right, <laughs> so, right. It's like- but now they work way more and they make less or they make about the same and that's what they consider a business. And that's what over 90% of businesses are. Wow. So 90% don't even get to lifestyle. Yeah. And it's the same as churches. It's just like church. I mean, most churches have a single pastor or maybe a pastor and some part-time staff. If you go worldwide and you look at churches in general, that's what you're going to find. You find very few that are able to actually uh, get the revenue they need, hire the people they need and get to where they go to where they actually have some freedom back in their time back. And that's why pastors burn out, I believe. Right. And then let's talk about the third category. So how do you move from lifestyle to what is it? Legacy? What was the word? Lasting. 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 Um, there's a lot of things, but the main thing, the characteristic of a lasting business is that it grows without you. And here's the main skill set that you've got to develop is, is, to have a lifestyle business, you have to hire to your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. To have a lasting business, you have to hire to everything. Yeah. And so everything has to be hired to. Even the things that you are super uniquely good, passionate about, have preferences about, all of it's hired to. Great example. The easiest example is Apple and Steve Jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, he's great at design and all that, but he's dead and it's still it's still growing. Yeah. So. The, the, the lasting business hires to everything, and most leaders never get to the point where, where they're able to hire inside of what they're actually good at to get out of everything. That's so good, and you're right. I mean, we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about you know the application to church world. So the first category, uh, living, nothing happens without you. You disappear, and like all the water drains out of the bathtub. You get to a lifestyle business, and it will run without you, but it will not grow without you. You've got people who can, you know, you can take a vacation, you can disappear, you could even work at it a little bit, but 
It's not going to grow without you, but a lasting business can grow without you. And it's sometimes it's even stronger, right? Without the founder and otherwise. Super, super helpful. And what percentage reach lasting? Like you said, is it? Yeah, I was looking today. Yeah, I was looking today and it was like 200. I think I think that it said that there was like 200,000 businesses in America would reach about that uh, level. Out of how many? Uh, Uh, 27 million. Wow. So you're like less than 1%. Less than 1%. One, less than 1%. And wouldn't this be, here's the vision behind this, because I know you and I have talked about this before, Casey, but you know, some church leaders get freaked out whenever business and church mix up. I'm not freaked <laughs> out by that at all. But wouldn't it be great if we all planted churches that grew without us, that ran <laughs> without us and grew without us? Like this, yeah. is, this is the idea that just fascinates me. So I began to notice a pattern, a number of patterns, because you just sit down and you talk to CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who started things. The issues that the entrepreneurs you were interviewing were facing as they tried to grow their business, I began to realize, holy cow, when I talk to like hundreds, thousands of pastors and hear their stories, I hear the same stuff. And basically, if you drop the dollar figure, my theory is, that you know the same issues that maybe an entrepreneur is running at two hundred thousand dollars in revenue are the issues that a pastor of a two hundred person church is facing. Totally. Six hundred thousand, and you know that sounds like a lot of money to a lot of leaders, but it's like it feels like six hundred people in church, and to break totally. the thousand barrier is to like break the million dollar mark in business. So now you don't talk about that on the podcast, but you and I both see those parallels. So let's go there. What are some of the biggest challenges? You've interviewed 50 entrepreneurs now for this podcast. What are the biggest challenges entrepreneurs face in growing their business? Well, there's different levels like we talked about. So let's just dig it. Like you talk about the $200,000 level. Uh-huh. Um, let's just dig into that. And that let's would be go. like, the, that would be the 200 person church level. It's about the same. Okay. And Carrie, that's not even a theory. Like I did giving coaching, you know, this for, oh, yeah. s- for literally seven years and about a thousand dollars ahead was the average church. Some are lower, some are higher. Mm-hmm. So it is a direct correlation, not based on what we think, but I've seen it. So with this two hundred level, uh, the problem is they're in business. You're in what we call the sell do model, which means that you've actually got to sell it and you got to deliver it. <laughs> so hmm. whatever it is, if you're selling uh, consulting, you got to sell the consulting, got to do the consulting, and. The problem with this is, is they have to do it all. And in having to do it all, um, what happens is, is that they get used to getting a, a salary out of the business and it hamstrings them from hiring other people. And so they get stuck because they have to sell, they have to do, they get stuck because cash flow is tight. What they need to do is hire some people higher to their weaknesses because they'll never grow until they quit doing so much stuff. But most of them set in stone after years of watching other people do it and saying that's the way it is. And after years of them doing it, they rationalize and we justify in our mind that this is just the way it is for my business or for my church or my organization. And yeah, Carrie, you had this luxury because you're a North Point partner. Or yeah, if I was in Texas, it would grow bigger. Yeah. But 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 doesn't matter where you are. The leadership that has to happen to go past two hundred or two hundred thousand dollars is simply getting stuff off your plate. Number one. Yeah. Okay. So this is similar to like the solo pastor, right? You're in a small church. You're doing it all. And I remember when our churches were that small. I can't tell you the exact math, but my guess is that salary or payroll in a business context, even though I was not making a lot of money, 
was about 60 to 70% of the entire church budget, right? Yeah. Which is, is that what you see in small businesses, real small businesses too, where it's oh, like, yeah. hey, I got to pay the mortgage. I got to get groceries. My car yep. payments do. Therefore, 70, 80% of my revenue gets sucked out of the business and becomes my salary. Yeah. And, and they tell themselves, I can't pay somebody $30,000 a year to help me, or I can't right. pay myself, I can't pay $25,000 a year. But the problem is, they get stuck with limited belief thinking because they think 25 or 30, but you don't have to pay the person $25,000 when they show up in your office that day. Okay. And so what I learned and what the people in my podcast talk about is you only have to pay them every two weeks. So you've got to focus on early on in the business, sell, 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 sell. In a church, you got to get in the community and you've got to be thinking early on, grow, 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 grow. You don't think yep. systems, you don't think structures, you think get out in the community, let's go, let's grow, let's mess some things up and uh, get out from behind my desk and get out there. And, and I, I see very few uh, pastors, we just get stuck because we know the 200, the 200 know us. We like them, they like us, and we just stay there for a long time and can't break through. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I say this often, but I'll never forget those first five years of ministry. I mean, we got no people and no money. And it was like a growth thing. And there was literally no money. Everything came out of my paycheck. If the yes. church had something other than <laughs> yeah. like the heating bill, yeah. it came out of my paycheck because there was no budget. I mean, there's no travel, there's no conferences, right. there's no book allowance, there's right. none of that stuff. So that all came out. But within three or four years of growth, we had money and we started hiring a part-time assistant, part-time worship leader, uh, part-time this, part-time that. And, you know, now multi-million dollar church, et cetera, et cetera. But can you start small that way where it's just like, I found $10,000 and I can hire a guy to do X? Number one, here's the two hires you need to make. Okay. And pastors don't listen to me on this, but business owners do. I don't know why. So maybe... <laughs> The pastors, if you're listening to this, you yell at me and tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. You need a part-time assistant and you need a part-time bookkeeper. ASAP. Don't touch the books. Let yes. somebody else do I that. I never did. Uh -huh. Let somebody else do that. And you need a part-time assistant. And what I mean by assistant is somebody that can free you up because what the reality is, is that you're not stuck at 200. You're just stuck at 200 doing things that you're not good at. <laughs> if you can just get your assistant to take off, let's say, 20% or 30% of the stuff that you're not good at, you will see an increase in your uh, ability to, whether it's preaching better or getting out the community, whatever it is that you do best, you'll do more of it and your church will grow without having to hire a bunch of pastors and staff. Hey, and you have a phenomenal episode on your seven-figure CEO where you sat down yes. with your longtime assistant, Renee. We're going to link to it in the show notes, but cool. guys, this is required listening. Like before you listen to another episode of my podcast, go, if you're skeptical, like I don't have an assistant or I don't need one or we're too small or uh, really they just do minor admin stuff. Listen to what Casey and Renee have to say. We'll also link to the um, episode I did on my podcast with uh, Sarah Piercy, my assistant. Yeah. But, it's my number one listen to episode. Is it really? Well, it was so good. It's so and, good. And one thing I would say, Carrie, is I know there's a lot of people that maybe you know, they're in children's ministry or they're like, they're not the head pastor or, you know, that kind of thing. And to think like, literally, I did this. I was a pastor. I was in a startup church. 
I literally, we, me and Renee, back in the day, we were two staff people. We literally recruited part-time volunteer assistants that they came in during the week and they helped us because there wasn't enough budget in the st- uh, it wasn't enough budget. So we created a volunteer position that was admin assistant help during the week, cutting cards, sending stuff out, reminder emails, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of churches and church leaders, they just go, oh, we don't have the budget. That's bad thinking. You got to mm-hmm. go. What can we do? How can we let people work with their minds, not their backs? No, that's a that's a really good idea. So, um, side side point: Why do you think pastors don't listen? Because I agree. You know, you gave advice for years and years in the church world, and everyone goes, "Ah, oh, that won't work here." Yeah, and won't listen is a is a very that's a general statement. I not would not say sure. there's some that do, but it's because I think you think well, businesses they can just go sell more. Well, they can. Well, pastors can produce revenue. (laughs) (laughs) It's called getting more people and getting good at asking for money. And so those two skills are are huge. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think it's the the mindset. I think it really what it is is the broke mindset. It's the broke. Mm -hmm. It's just like a broke person says. My all my broke friends they tell me about all their stuff that breaks all the time. Well, I have people that aren't broke friends. I never hear about their stuff breaks. They just don't talk about it. So it's the same type thing. It's the broke mindset. So if you're listening and you're, and and if you have anything in you, that's pushing back right now saying, oh, it won't work for me. It will work for you. The question is not, will it work? The question is, how can you make it work? Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing too, Casey, that I think for the small church leader, like people have heard me talk about this before, but you're giving rocket stuff that you produced. I mean, we wrote some of those early days together. Those were good days. But when we did that material at our church, it helped so, so much. So we'll link to giving rocket. But I just want to say, even when, you know, you're not in a high growth season, because if you just look at new people as dollar signs, first of all, that's a mistake because, sure. and you would, you would be the first to say that. I mean, you have to, you have to um, love people for who they are. And then eventually, you know, if they become disciples, they're going to give. But sometimes we just look at our church, it connects us and go, you know what, we're not tapping out our giving capacity. So whether we grow another person or not, we could still grow our giving capacity by 20 or 30%. You just have to teach biblical stewardship. Okay, so that's the 200 mark. What are some other barriers if you see them at 200K? So everything's revolving around the pastor it's a or church leader. It's a broke mindset. It's this idea that we can't afford to hire. Everything depends on me. What else do you see at 200? I think the other thing is that they, uh, you know, they like being needed. Mm. And the problem when you grow is you're less needed by everybody. And so I think I don't want to get too ooey gooey here, but I'm just some of the one of the biggest growth barriers I saw with pastors in smaller churches is the is emotional health issues based on I just want to be liked. I want to be needed. And because you've got to make decisions to not be liked, to not not to be mean, but to not be there for everybody and do everything for everybody and do all the stuff and be expected to do the good old fashioned pastor role. And you've got to be a leader and grow. And that's going to make some people mad. And uh, you get that. That's that's probably a big one as well. Yeah, you're going to be unpopular. Now, I listen when I, when I listen to all those interviews on your podcast, uh, and I listen to these entrepreneurs talk. A lot of them are really reluctant to let go of the books. A lot of them are really reluctant to like give totally. up on sales. T- talk about that. Why do you think they're reluctant? Fear. Mm. It's, it's just fear. It's fear of loss. The number one emotion I deal with with entrepreneurs. 
uh, that either have a lot or they mm-hmm. want a lot. So it's both sides. <laughs> yeah, you get both sides. Is fear that I'm going to have to go back to what I was doing or fear that we're going to lose the lifestyle or fear that it's not going to work out or fear. And so that fear drives you to think you can control, but in your control, basically what you're doing is you're just putting out the fire and the ability to grow. Okay. So that's 200,000 or roughly, you know, churches under 200 in attendance, but another big barrier, and you can pick the exact number is the half million dollar a year mark, or even that four to 600 range in church world, which again, I think 10 or 15% of churches maybe break 200. Um, but that four to 600 barrier is a big deal. And that half million dollar mark, I mean, that's a very comfortable lifestyle, right? If you can, and it's a comfortable church. And it's, it's a, a comfortable, comfortable church. church. So uh, what, what are the, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, basically this is when you start getting into like what the lifestyle business looks like. And the way this one is described, you would describe the 200 person or 200,000 as uh, surviving. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a culture of, we got to survive. Yeah. Um, this one would be a culture of succeeding. You would feel as if we are moving forward. Yep. Um, we do have some money. We do have some staff. We have some other people that we're able to give some stuff to. And the way this one looks is that you have really the visionary leader, whether in pastor or business, and the org chart is kind of like the sun and the solar system. The sun is the visionary leader, and you have uh, high-level doers of people that circle around them that respond to the visionary. Right. And so it's it, but here's the key: the, the the reality is that the visionary um, and in, in this level, they can really only do one thing good at a time. They can grow in what's relative simplicity, but they cannot scale multiple things. You will not see a succeeding student ministry, a succeeding uh, children's ministry, succeeding uh, missions department. All the things aren't scaling at once. One thing is usually the thing that's the driver, the growth engine, the growth. And that's usually the characteristics of the same in business as well. They usually got one idea, one program, one thing that's working really, really, really well. And they feel like they've arrived in a lot of ways. But really what they've done is they've just created this lifestyle business, which is great. But the downside is the reason why they stay stuck here is the visionary becomes what my coach called me. We were stuck. I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. He said, Casey, you're a visionary arsonist. <laughs> oh, that's great. Say more. And the, this is why I am, I don't feel like I am a serial entrepreneur anymore from the standpoint of like, I can now see in myself, I can't do this right now. I've got to do this until this is moving and growing and there's a staff around it and it's taken care of. And if I get out of it and it falls apart, it means that it's not ready for me to get out of yet. Mm. So what happens is in business and churches, you start trying to do too much. Oh, we need a student ministry to be better. Oh, we need this missions thing. Oh, we need that. And the visionary will start doing all these things and campaigns and it stifles the growth of the church because you cannot... They, they can only do one thing good at a time. It's kind of like a, a six-year-old soccer team. The little <laughs> boys, they all, they all run to one ball, and that's what you see in churches this size and businesses. That they, they all run to one ball. They don't stay in their lanes yet, and that's a skill set you got to develop to grow. So, hey, yeah, if, I'm getting yeah. too, if I'm getting too theoretical, not practical, please pull me out of the clouds. No, this is amazing. This is really helpful. Well, you know, I'm the principles guy, so I love this stuff. So I'd be a terrible guest on your podcast. Casey, what, what's interesting to me is I see a commonality, if I understand you right, 
between 200 and let's say four to 600, yeah. both in money and in terms of attendance at a church. And that is, it still all revolves around the founder or totally. the visionary leader. So in other words, before it was me doing everything, yeah. and now it's everybody waiting on my beck and call. So even yes. if I disappear for vacation, or, or a sabbatical or a retreat or, yeah. you know, they, they're still waiting on my next cue to get going. Is that what you see? Totally. The business, the church, it will run without you. Mm. It will not grow without you. Gotcha. You, you are the chief idea, chief growth catalyst. And even the areas that, so let's say, let's focus on student ministry. Well, you made that decision. You get involved in it and it starts to grow, 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 grow. And everybody circles around it and it rallies around it. We get the T-shirt and do a campaign and say, this is what we're doing. But if you let go of it, then it oftentimes you haven't created a, a good enough leadership system or have a good enough leader in place that grows it without you. Right. So it's kind of still that Midas touch thing, right? Totally. And it's this- what... Yeah. It's your genius, though. It's the good. Right. It's 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 why you were able to do what you're able to do. It's 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 not a bad thing. It's just a thing thing. But you haven't created a, a predictable, sustainable no. success that works without the leader. So on that note, succession is a big issue in in corporate world, right? Not just in church world. Totally. Yeah. So talk about succession. Like most founders, never are able to successfully pass a business, not just to their kids, but like to anybody. And yeah. so it has a 15, 25, 30, 40 year run. And then it kind of fades off into the sunset when the owner says we're done. Yeah. I don't know the exact stat, but I know it's over nine out of 10. It's more than nine. Yeah. I know for a fact the business dies with the founder. Right. And that's because these issues are never systematically addressed, but the, the intoxicant of course is success. This is the totally. biggest the church has ever been. You got a comfortable income, comfortable lifestyle. You're reaching people in church world. You're doing baptisms on a regular basis. You know, you've, mm-hmm. you've maybe got the boat now, you know, if you're the sure. owner of a business. And so it's a very comfortable lifestyle, but you haven't thought about lasting. You haven't thought about legacy and you haven't thought about succession. And totally. if you look at many churches, right, Casey, um, whether they're, you know, independent startups or whether they're um, mainline churches, it's like, well, the 90s were amazing because we had this great leader or we had this amazing <laughs> leader and he left five years ago and it hasn't been the same since. Yeah. So what other issues do you find church leaders running into in that four to 600 issue or business leaders running into a four to 600K? Hiring. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that comes up a ton on your podcast. Yeah, because this is when you get a little success and you you think you're invincible and you do, you make fast, stupid hiring decisions because <laughs> you just because th- your hiring process at this level is do I like you, right? And most people at this level, it's just like it's do I like you, it, but there's no process in place. And on my podcast, what you see is one of the biggest things people put in place is a sales and marketing process and a hiring process. These are the two things that come up time and time and time again. But in churches, uh, oftentimes we don't, we would say we have a hiring process and that means that we just meet with a couple people and have different groups that meet with them and maybe have a committee or whatever. But there's really not a competency uh, drill downs and there's not values matching and there's not uh, character discovery done throughout the hiring process. And so what happens is, is that we start hiring people and you'll start to see in the churches, the sizes, there's a, there's a rotation of, 
of, of leaders that come in and they start rotating in, they rotate out, they rotate in, they rotate out. And you don't see uh, the, the best leaders will care. Not that everybody stays forever, mm-hmm. but the best leaders will carry people forward with them, at least a core. Um, the leaders that don't do so well at this level is that it's all about them and they just hire on what they like and people bounce off. Interesting. So what's the key to hiring well? At this stage, because you do at this point start to have money to really build a team, even a small and you team. should, yeah. yeah. And and you hire, and you're you're usually at this point hiring to your weaknesses of things you don't want to do or things right. that you think would be good for the organization. So I don't like admin, so I'm going to hire a really good operations person or executive pastor. Um, you know, we're going to hire groups, we're going to hire student, we're going to hire family, next gen, all that stuff. So your team is assembling, but how do you make sure you get the right people? Like, what is the process other than I like you? Application is number one and make it ridiculously long. Really? Oh, yeah. 50, 60 questions. The application process should be outrageous because if they're not willing to spend the time to fill out the application, then don't hire them. Hmm. I don't care how bad you're in need. If they don't want to work there, uh, they won't fill out that. If they do, they will. And then before, number two is that you've got to have a skills assessment. And the way you do that is instead of asking somebody, hey, are you good at planning travel? Yeah. Hey, are are you good at this or what? Literally, one of my assistants that I hired, um, she planned my entire family vacation to Italy. It was a 21-day vacation. She planned all of it from start to finish with me and my wife. And we gave her, all we said is we're going to Italy for 21 days plan it, book all the travel, everything. That's all I told her. That's it. Because we wanted to see, could she think? What questions did she come back and ask? Um, Those kind of things. And literally her hiring process, a big part of it was just planning a trip and how she did it. So that's huge. Because so many pastors say, I remember we hired a pastor one time. It was a student guy. And our church was about 1,600. We had a student ministry of about 150. And we were hiring a new student guy. And the guy came in. And he was, he was energetic and he was uh, a wooer and all this. And my friend, David Putman, who's awesome, mm-hmm. got into his history and found out that the guy had grown student ministries to about 40 to 50. And then we had a team of people, everybody liked him. So he ended up getting hired and David looked at me and said, he's going to grow the student ministry down to 50 people. Wow. And, and that's what he did. He did. You're kidding me. Because people do what they've done. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you, it's, it's not a judgment thing on them as a human or any of that kind of stuff. It's just for, I'm not even talking about character stuff. I'm just talking about performance. Yeah. Yeah. Look at what they've done in the past and it's really simple. They're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. So do you have like favorite assessment tools that you've found helpful? I know we use right path yep. uh, and we use strength finders and so on. Is it that kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, we use um, uh, the Synergist by Les McEwen. It gives okay. you um, a, a quiz. You know, really, it's not necessarily what quiz do you use. It's understanding the kind of person that you need at the stage in the organization that you get. What most senior leaders do at around 500 is they go out and they hire other visionaries. The yeah. worst thing you can do 
is hire another visionary student pastor, another visionary children's leader. You don't need any more visionaries until you get past a thousand. You need one visionary and you need a bunch of people that can operate and pull off the operations. So being a visionary is not a problem. You need vision, but actually at this point, you're, you're and, and I've read Les McEwen's book. He's actually going to be a podcast guest on this podcast, which is incredible. And it was you who told me about that book. But basically at this point, you're setting up the systems that are going to take you to a thousand or beyond. Yeah, you need one strong visionary. And I'm not saying that everybody can't think or can't be involved in problem solving, but you don't need anybody else saying, I think we should go to Africa or I think we should do this. Like it's just till you get past a million dollars in a business, it's this is the one thing we're doing and all the thinking. And this is what allowed us to be able to scale is Les McEwen was my coach. He helped me have self-awareness to be able to say, don't do anything else until you get past the million dollar part. All you focus on is one thing. Wow. Now, that was something you and I've talked about, too. The, the thing that hit me is, you know, the business models for a lot of these entrepreneurs are actually extremely simple. So, Casey, anything else at like four to six hundred? No, I really think that's it. If you're there, I would say the number one thing I would be seeking is great hiring process and know and get the right type of leader, not just uh, somebody that you like. Gotcha. Okay, so let's move to that like mythical 750, 800 to the million mark. There's a ceiling there. And again, it's a very tiny percentage of churches and a very tiny percentage of businesses that ever crest through. So what's going on in that range? You've successfully navigated four to 600 K or people, and now you're bumping up against a thousand. What's the ceiling there? Yeah, the ceiling here is with most leaders, what they think is they need is more sales. Okay. They'll say, we need to sell more. And every entrepreneur I've ever met, it's sell more, sell more. How do we get more sales? Sell, 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 sell. But the, rea- the problem happens as you start growing into that is that more sales just equals more problems for customer service because you don't have systems. It creates more problems for your content team because uh, things aren't going out or they went the wrong day or there's misspellings and errors. And you start to see a lot of errors. You start to see a lot of, uh, a, a lot of things because it's just grown so much that your good work of growing the business or growing the church has allowed you now to where you, here's the delusion. The delusion is you still think you know what's going on, but you don't. And you're insulated in a lot of ways just because it's all about sales or all about growth. And you don't start to see the erosion that happens uh, to the customer experience, or you see the erosion that happens uh, to your staff experience. Turnover gets pretty high. And you start one day after enough pain because you're kind of what you call, I guess, vision drunk from four to six hundred. And then as you get as you get bigger is when you start after you'll do it for 12 months. And the things that you used to do don't work as well anymore. And the the, the little tricks that you could pull out of the bag, they don't just hit it. They, they're, they're not the big winners. And you start to ask yourself what's happening. And then it usually takes a leader 12 to 18 months before they wear down enough and realize and go, something's not right. I don't know what's wrong. And then they go seek and look for help. Hmm. And that can happen growth-wise, financially, the infrastructure and everything. What, what, what are some of the common pitfalls? What, what stops working? Well, the biggest thing that stops working is the customer experience is that let's just say in a church, you think people are being followed up on because they used to get followed up on really well if they marked a card or whatever. And it's just not working anymore. 
um, that the children's check-in process that you're insulated to, because now you're thinking about something else, is that it's a disaster or that when somebody drops somebody off, you've grown so fast that you're just getting warm bodies in and they aren't trained properly. And so Mm -hmm. you start to see a breakdown in the ability to deliver your service, your product, your church service, your offering, whatever it is, you you see it. um, You're still preaching or you're still doing your thing, but it's not working all the way through for the customer. So this is this is where I think sometimes founders or like key leaders where the central leader, whoever he or she is, is this where they start to get frustrated, Casey, because they're used to like, you know, shooting from the hip and hey, I don't like systems, but like does that does that provide a challenge for some leaders? Yeah, because what most leaders say is that they like systems, they just don't want to do them themselves. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I know we need them. I just I just don't want to I just don't want to. And so th- what happens without knowing it is that the leader either fights it and keeps, I've been around leaders, and it not necessarily have to be the thousand. It could go up to like 1,500. Sure. It's not a magic number, but around that thousand or 1 million to 1.5 or whatever. Um, the delusional leader keeps trying to do the same bag of tricks. Well, we did a mailer when we launched 10 years ago, and they have this, this dream of like these people that showed up. So 10 years later, you still do the mailer. And Mm -hmm. they just live in a delusional land. And what you see is a church that will do heavy marketing, but long-term people staying in their church for a long, long period of time that are happy, thoroughly satisfied uh, customers in the business or disciples of Jesus in the church. That starts to erode and kind of the same little gimmicks. It's really gimmick-driven churches or gimmick-driven businesses. Um, they just keep pushing them and they push them into the point to where it declines. And when it starts declining, they usually say, well, this isn't for me anymore. And they check out. Wow. So what's the key to like not getting into that cycle? What do you need to do to avoid that? I don't think you can avoid it. I think you grow into it. I think you hit the wall, but I think it's not about avoiding it. It's about awareness of it. And um, the awareness of, oh, that's what's happening. It's not me. It's not my staff. It's just the way it is. It's just the way organizational growth happens. So what do I do? The number one thing that you have got to do is that you have got to get a coach that helps you in two areas, soft skills and hard skills. Hmm. Hard skills are is stuff like data. It's, in, it's looking at, uh, in a business, you're looking at who's buying, how often, um, how much does it cost? Like, I know you have Dragon's Den. And, yeah, uh, yeah, we do. And we, and we have tank. Shark Tank in America or whatever. And the first question they get asked is, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? Well, you know, that kind of deal. Well, the same thing is true, is that you've got to be moved from being a leader that leads by gut to leads by data. And so that's the first thing that you got to do because you got to look at the facts of what's really happening because what most leaders do, and this is so true, Carrie, your yeah. observation of it being pastor in church, you'll get one customer success story of how awesome your business is and, right. and, the, and, the, and the entrepreneur will tell everybody how awesome their business is because Johnny said it was awesome. It's the same in church. You've got that one raving fan that's telling you how awesome it is and how cool you are and how good your preaching is and this is the best ever and it changed my life. But And you believe that and you live the lens through that and you don't have data showing you the truth. So number one is data. 
Right. So you've got that one baptism story that made everyone yep. just so excited, but you've got a 5% drop and you just use the exception to create a new rule. But totally. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So keep going. This is good. Uh, that's, that's an example of a hard skill. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of a soft skill is, and I didn't know anything about this. Like I thought I knew, I, I thought I knew, I thought I knew enough through reading books and talking to people uh, of what it took to get to the uh, next level, but I just didn't until I hired a coach. And he helped me understand soft skills. And soft skills are example of like how do you um, how do you deal with endings? This sounds okay. stupid, but like a staff person's leaving, a somebody mm-hmm. quit, somebody got fired. How as a leader do you actually deal with this in a healthy way? Well, I don't know. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. My dad's a steel worker. My mom's a substitute teacher. I would just say, hey, Johnny's gone. Let's sell more. Like, (laughs) you know, we like Johnny and we'll do a little party for Johnny. But I never let people get into a room and open up the box and express what they're feeling and how and how to your lead. emotions as a leader even yeah so anyway that's just an example and there's many so, different examples of how to lead uh, a team of people and not be this crazy rambunctious wild preacher that everything circles around but slowing down enough to develop other leaders to develop the team and the number one soft skill that I learned from my coach was this is he said, if there's eight people on the team, there's really nine. And the nine is that you've always got to respect the team as a whole. There's mm. a, and learning that one thing was huge for me because I always just was thinking one-to-one and like our team, but like what is good for the group right now? What's good for the whole right now? And learning that skill was huge. That's a really, really good, Casey. And I think that challenges a lot of leaders. Now, one of the things that you've heard already, but I'm not, I just want to underscore it a little bit. Casey, I've heard you say this a thousand times, but you are a firm believer in investing in coaches, investing in people who make you better. And you have spent, like you've invested money in that, but churches have a problem with that, right? Our pastor doesn't need a coach or, you know, this leader doesn't need a coach. What do you, what do you have to say to that? Well, that goes into the next question, Carrie, of what, you know, what we're talking about is like, the things that I, if I could transfer anything from CEO world into the church world, the first thing I, I thought about was uh, pay a little now or pay a lot later. <laughs> and it's, you pay a little now or you pay a lot later. And one of my favorite quotes is by Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn says, there's two types of pain, the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment you choose. Mm. And hiring a professional coach in areas of fitness, for instance, Pay the trainer now or pay the health bills later. Right. Financially, pay some fees now for somebody to help you or pay the price of having no options later. Emotionally, pay the marriage counseling now or pay for the divorce counseling later. Like So good. You've got to pay a little now. And if I could talk to, forward this to a board member, uh, whoever decides budget, if you're the budget, and it's not conferences. Listen, I love mm-hmm. conferences. You need a coach, somebody in your life that you pay that helps you 
in air, different areas at different seasons, but even in performance and leadership coaching, you need a personalized coach that helps you get there. I don't know anybody. Well, there's few, there's few exceptions that make it, but everybody on my podcast, the number one thing they did say is I was in a coaching group. I paid a coach and that's what made the difference. Yeah, that's so true because a lot of us say, well, I have this podcast. This is my coach, right? And it's free and all that, but that is not the same thing. I don't know you, you don't know them. And I, I know I've grown when we finally crested that thousand mark at our church. It was after a couple years of exactly what you said, hard skill coaching and soft skill coaching. And I paid coaches hundreds of dollars to, well, thousands of dollars actually, to, to coach me because I had to grow. I didn't naturally have that skill set. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Carrie, don't get me started because I could go on and on because I just know People say, well, how do you know if you, why isn't this coaching? Well, this isn't coaching because you didn't pay. Like there are no, <laughs> there are no free. This is called free. This isn't yeah. coaching. This is advice. This is like watching a television show. And though it may be helpful, a coach is somebody who gets the best out of you. Carrie, you and I don't know anybody. Well, we know people listening, but we, we don't know whether they applied anything or not. The coach, mm-hmm. the coach forces you to do the extra rep. They force you to save the money. They force you to talk about the marriage issue. They force you to deal with your performance issues. They force you to deal with burnout. They force you to do these things that we naturally don't want to do. Coaches are everything. Yep. That's so true. And they know you and they know your weaknesses. And I I think that's really, really good. Okay. What needs to happen for a business to sustainably stay above the million mark? I would say very simply, number one is you've got to pick the right type of revenue. Number one, all revenue is not equal. Pastor and churches, all giving is not equal. Some is better than others. I hope I get tweets and people get mad at me for this, but here's the deal. When we did the studies and we researched and then just, just Casey on the ground and team on the ground, an online recurring gift is the best kind of donation that you can get to your church, period, hands down. It is the factor. It's statistically proven. It's just proven in my life. It's proven in what I see a church. It's just the way it works, that an automated donation is the best. So be seeking that kind of revenue, not just a big offering. Be seeking that kind of gift because it's a better type of revenue. That's the way to sustain is to get the right type of money coming in over a long period of time. That's number one. Number two is get the right people to hire. We've already talked about that. And number three is the right processes to run. Um, Those are the three things in businesses I see it takes to sustain past um, a million. Mm -hmm. And past a thousand, I mean, you need a sustainable financial base. You need the right team and you absolutely need the right systems. We'll link to this in the show notes, but you mentioned Les McEwen. He'll be on the podcast, but Predictable Success, such a good book when it comes to that. Isn't it, Casey? Yeah, Les was my coach. Yeah, Um, I mean, I am everything I learned and I've, I've had tons of coaches, but he's one that I mean, just all of the stuff like, and people think, oh, Casey, you're, you're telling some, I'm not telling you, I'm just telling what somebody told me and I applied. That's it. I didn't come up with any of this. <laughs> Would you do that? I mean, totally. You hired a fitness coach and I mean, you're in the best shape of your life, which is, which is amazing. So you lived in both worlds and continue to live in both worlds, church and business. What are the top three learnings for pastors based on your experience with CEOs? Well, we've already talked about one, which is pay a little now or a lot later. Um, number two is seek self-awareness relentlessly. Hmm. Seek self-awareness relentlessly. Most past, the problem in, in the pastor world is that you are paid to assess how everybody else is doing. 
like it's what we do. We just we kind of right. you're right. We just no, we assess. We're like, oh, well, they're there. They're probably this far in their journey, or we can tell. You know, here's where they are, and I can see a marriage problem a mile away. And like we're always looking out, 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 out. But the profession I see that lacks some of the most self awareness is paid ministry leaders. Right. And in in businesses, I see CEOs. Not all of them, but a lot of them. more people that I, I work with that are leaders of businesses are in groups that are helping them see blind spots than pastors are. It's mm. just the way it is. You can so you call mean it like masterminds or, or just yes. whatever. Whether it's masterminds, whether it's coaching groups, whether it's learning together, uh, pastors are drawn to events. Uh, they spend mm. their money on going to big things where they get to see preachers preach. And again, I'm not against the event space, and I, I'm so proud of all the events. That's sure. wonderful. However, if you if that's where your dose of learning and growing and stuff comes from, you're not going to learn your blind spots. Nobody at a big conference is going to say, you know what? I feel like when I talk to you in the hallway that um, you're struggling with a little bit of insecurity here, and this is how it's coming across your staff. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, you're right. So getting seeking self-awareness relentlessly, there's two ways to do it. Number one is through a, a 360-degree assessments. Um, you've done those before, right, Kerry? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Regular diet. Yep. Ron Edmondson was the first pastor I know, that's one of the most self-aware pastors I know, that he literally did that with his staff every quarter, all the time. He's asking, what am I not seeing? How am I coming across? Um, what could I do that's inspired? What am I doing that's kind of undercutting your leadership? Asking those type of questions wow. uh, is huge. And if you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, move on, move on, move on. I'm self-aware. Anybody, I, I know a mutual friend of me and you, he's, he is the king of self-awareness is what he tells, he, he tells everybody he's self-aware and he tells other people they need to be self-aware. And he's one of the least self-aware people I've ever met. <laughs> so, if you're not scared to death that you're not self-aware, then you're probably not self-aware. So if you be scared to death. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. Okay, you got a third. I do. It's just simple, Carrie. Relentlessly focus on one thing and put 80% of your resources toward it. Wow. If you want to move the needle, whatever the needle is, if it's giving, if it's student ministry, if it's overall growth, if it's discipleship health, if it's missions— Whatever it is, focus, 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 focus. You don't have to have everything in your church. You don't have to be a church for everybody. You can be a church for this specific segment of the world, and this is the way we operate, but this one thing, and align 80% of your resources to it at one time, period. That's good counsel, man. And, but people, and don't, people don't do it naturally. No, because you're a people pleaser, right? Because, yeah. well, this person asked me to do this, and this person wants to do that, and this person might leave my church if, he, if we don't do this. So, wow. Okay, you worked with uh, Preaching Rocket, Giving Rocket, plus the other Rockets. What are some common obstacles church leaders faced while well, I got you? I would say that uh, while they're naturally communicators and stand up in front of people, growing as a communicator will grow your church. Hmm. So 90% of the people that Tom Rainer, of, of, of unchurched people, Tom Rainer did a survey, 90% of people said that the reason they came back was because of the pastor and his preaching wow. or her. So 
what, have a communication coach because you don't naturally get better as a communicator. You actually get worse because you think you're getting better, but you're really not. You have to have a coach, resources, guides, and very few people in your church are just going to come up to you and say, you know what? I feel like you're declining as a communicator. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, that's number one. Uh, number two is grow your giving or reduce your dreams. Just pick. <laughs> That's well said. Grow your giving and reduce your dreams. That's pretty clarifying. Yeah. I mean, it's just be willing to focus on uh, generosity, giving growth, or just settle in at where you are because it just takes money to do ministry. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's an investment. I mean, my goodness, you know, it's like Dan Pilata says, we celebrate when, you know, some company has a quarterly profit of $72 million, but then we underfund the most important thing in the world, which is the church. <laughs> totally. Right? Yeah. That. The, the last thing I would say is grow your soul larger than your role. Mm. And uh, the number one resource, in my opinion, for that in the church space is uh, Pete Scazzaro and Emotionally Healthy Leadership, Emotionally mm-hmm. Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Marriage Conference. And... Um, he, uh, nobody slapped me in the face. Nobody slaps me in the face in just a very good wake up kind of way than Pete Scazzaro, Rich uh, Villados, um, over, over in, in, in New York City. In New York City and, yeah. yeah. I mean, just a great resource for your, for your listeners. Oh, that's great. Hey, Casey, um, we've covered a lot of action steps. Is there anything else you want to sort of cover that we haven't covered yet? Because I got a couple more quick questions. No, nah, just about. do your questions. All right, here we go. What is the one question you wish the church leader had asked you that no church leader has ever asked you? What's your kids' names? Mm-hmm. Um, and wow, it's not necessarily that I've never been asked what my kids' names are, but it's probably one of the one of the hardest things for me was. Um, being in the church space, uh, having, let's just say I was a pastor. I started as an intern, became a pastor, started a business in the church space is we just, just forgetting that I'm a human, um, and forgetting that we are all human beings, uh, not human doings and that we all go home and my daughter's not, she doesn't care about all this stuff. My son doesn't care about all this and, um, that I have a family and I'm just a human and, that was a big, big thing for me is that, you know, like social media can be so cruel and especially using theology in the name of God and things like that. It's just like, we just forget sometimes that people are people. And so I would just say, stop before you tweet, stop before you put the Instagram post, stop before you make a judgment and, you know, ask what somebody's kids' names are. Think about that. They've got somebody at home. Think about they've got a spouse or somebody that's dying in their family and that that we're all just people and and to treat them that way. And you love your kids, your daughter and your son. I mean, yeah, they're great kids. Darby and Gage. (laughs) <laughs> great, yep. great family and a great wife. I love that, Casey. So I'm, I'm trying something new. I want to know, do you have a question for our listeners? Like if you wanted to know one thing from them, what would it be? I would want to know how, how can a church engage entrepreneurs to catalyze church growth? How can a church engage entrepreneurs to catalyze church growth? Yes. Okay. Is there anybody creating a partnership 
with their entrepreneurs and their leaders, besides being a good small group leader or, hey, they're a good volunteer. How is that happening and how could that happen and what could that look like? What could that look like? What, what, What could the bridge be to where business isn't separate, but they see business as ministry and that is a a huge place where people where entrepreneurs, when they think, where would I go to church and why it would be this church? Because wow, they have an unbelievable place for entrepreneurs. Well, that's cool. So I'll tell you what, we're going to post that in the show notes. And uh, why don't you leave a comment? If you've got a response to that, I'll watch them. I'd love to see it. Okay. So Casey and I are going to be watching in the comments. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com. Click on this episode and uh, we will be watching for that. Casey, this has been fantastic. Hey, if people want to follow, we'll have all the links in the show notes, but the Seven Figure CEO podcast, and where else can they find you these days? Yep, CaseyGraham.com. You got it. Casey, once again, thanks, friend. Thanks, buddy. Well, was that not interesting or what? I mean, I loved that. And seriously, I'm a podcast listener. So when I started listening to a Seven Figure CEO podcast, and you know, like I said, at the eighth episode or whatever, kind of went, oh my goodness, all this stuff works in church world. Uh, I saw Casey at a party actually in the spring and it was like, dude, we got to talk about this. And so here we are having that conversation. Hope that was helpful to you. You're going to be able to find all the details in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 104. Also in the blog this week, as a way of saying thank you to you, uh, I've because now we got 100 episodes, I've actually given you a list of the top 10 episodes of all time so far. So look in the show notes for that. We'll share with you the top 10 episodes and all the links accordingly. And if you haven't subscribed, do that because you'll be able to catch over the next six days, the Ask Carrie episodes that are coming. It'll just show up. You can listen on your run or commute or whatever. And uh, okay, so the ones that I'm going to do over the next six days are not live interaction, but I'm going to go out on a limb right now and I'm going to cold call one of you, a listener. So a few minutes ago on Twitter, I put out, hey, if anyone's around, I'm going to do this cold call. Uh, A guy named Chris, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, uh, said, yeah, I'm around. So he gave me his number. I'm going to call him right now. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, good. How are you? Good, man. How do you pronounce your last name, Chris? Uh, My last name is pronounced Thronus. Thronus. So this is Chris Thronus. Where are you from, Chris? I am from Coquitlam, BC. Oh, cool. Cool. So fellow Canadian. (laughs) That's That's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I just thought it would be fun to actually talk to a real listener live on the show. So uh, thanks so much for this. Uh, Tell me, you got a question. What do you got? Sure. Uh, My question is, um, so we are in a time where baby boomer lead pastors are coming up on retirement. So I just see in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be tons of of open uh, lead pastor positions. So my question is, like, I'm I'm 32. Um, What do you see as the ethics and principles, both from the baby boomers who are on the way out and the young pastors, somebody like me, to do that transition well? Man, this seems to be like the flavor of the year. Um, really? I, I did that, Chris. It's just great. I, I made a transition like that. I'm not a boomer. I'm actually a Gen Xer, barely, but I am. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did that a year ago at Connexus Church and uh, gave the lead pastor role to a guy 10 years younger than me. And, and I've had a number of conversations with leaders who are in the process of doing that right now. I think that's a great question. And I think it's something we all need to ask ourselves. So first of all, to the boomer lead pastors, you got to ask yourself, 
you know, what is your succession plan? And for me, the question that haunted me at our church, I don't know whether you, you know, you're at a large church, a small church, but, you know, we're a fairly large church for our area, region, and country. You know, about 2,500 people who call our church home, over a thousand on the weekend, the whole deal. And when I came, there were hardly anybody. So the question that I ask myself is, is what started with me going to end with? And I wanted the answer to be no. And I think that's a real point of self-reflection. Chris, I also saw an awful lot of leaders when I was younger hang on for what, like when I was your age, I I would see leaders hang on for what I thought was too long. I don't know whether you've seen that, but you know, they kind of lost their edge or they're not that effective anymore. I call it the Brett Favre syndrome. If you follow football at all, and I barely follow it. I mean, it was painful to watch Brett Favre in those last couple of seasons. I mean, he was a legend, but he could barely walk in in those final days. And I've seen too many leaders hang on. And talking with multiple people about this, I think there's two primary reasons that older pastors hang on too long, if it's too long. Number Mm -hmm. one... Um, they fear their best days are behind them. They've got nothing exciting to move into. And second, it's right. financial. They, they don't have the money to retire. And I didn't want wow. money to be an issue for me. So I think in the background, when you're a younger leader, you got to put yourself in the shoes of those older leaders and go, you know, this is, this is sometimes, and it should never be this way, but your identity is invested in what you do. And so yeah, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't the case for me where I needed to hang on to the job for money. I mean, I've got to work for another 10 years. And I am, I, I made an arrangement where I can stay as founding and teaching pastor at our church, um, which is right. great. But, you know, I didn't want money to be an issue. And then secondly, sure. I just, I'm really passionate about what started with me not ending with me. And so that's why I wanted yeah. to go. And I had, the other thing is, I had the leader in Jeff Brody that I knew would be almost impossible to find if Jeff ever said, man, when is Carrie going to go? I think I'll just move on and do something else. You know, I could be 55 in five years and like I got nobody to hand this thing to even when I want to. So right. I kind of went a lot earlier than a lot of people thought I should. Um, and mm. so I think there's that. And then for you, you know, in your situation, I mean, let me ask you, what do you think some of the keys are um, to getting ready to lead something, you know, significant at your age and stage to take over from what would you like to see? I, I, I think, you know, it, there has to be uh, a, just a humility on both of the parts, you know, yeah. like for a young leader to just to stay humble and say like, you know what, like I need to learn and it's not my time. I'm not going to force my time before it is time. Um, so in, in my, in my context and my, where I, where I am is just to like keep humble and to keep learning and to keep growing and, and doing whatever I can to, to prepare myself. And I think, you know, one of my coaches has said to me, like, you know, prepare yourself for that next stage right now. Yeah. So, you know, learn, learn how to lead at a level that you don't need to lead at quite yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like prepare yourself, prepare yourself for then, not, not just right now. And, and that really has been, you know, kind of the discipline that I've tried to implement in my life as well as just like the a heart for the Lord and the church and, you know, to sharpen up theologically and, and do, do whatever I can now to prepare for, for then. I don't know. Have you heard similar things? Oh, Chris, that's so good. You know, and that tells me that you're approaching it the right way. You know, the 32 year old who's like, wow, this guy's dumb. Get out of the way. I want your job. (laughs) That can be really dangerous. And it, it does happen. I mean, it's a tension to be managed because clearly you're thinking about, Hey, 
what if one day I became the lead pastor of, of, yeah. of something? And that's okay. That's healthy. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, David waited for the right moment for God to move. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. when we take things into our own hands, that's where it gets risky. I've actually got, uh, it's funny cause I didn't know what this question was going to be. Right. You said, do you want to know the question? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, nope. Uh, let's just do this live <laughs> cause it's a lot of fun sure. that way. But I've got a guest coming up this fall. His name is Ben Snyder and he's maybe three or four years older than you just took over from a senior pastor who is a boomer mid fifties, who sadly was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, but uh, he inherited a church of 5,800 people on five campuses or something like that. Maybe it's oh. 8,000 on five campuses. And there he is as this 35-year-old going, oh, but it was a brilliant interview. You guys will hear it in a couple of months. I usually work pretty far ahead on this, but uh, listen for that one. And then, and then guys like Tim Guptill, who I've had on the podcast before. Um, Judd Wilhite was in that role. Clay Scroggins at North Point, if you go way back in these archives. Um, those guys, I think, have the right attitude. But I would, I would just really challenge the boomer pastors. And Brad Lominick, you know, he did that at 40 when he was leading yep. Catalyst. You know, he went early. I tried to go early, but still have a really engaging role that helped our mission move forward, with, forward without meddling with Jeff. And actually, Jeff Brody, our new lead pastor, my boss, and myself and Jeff Henderson are releasing an episode this fall as well, talking about our transition. So that's why I think oh, it's, the, it's, it's actually the subject, the flavor of the year. But I'm really glad mm-hmm. you're asking the question. And, and Chris, thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, thanks for hitting me up live with a question. Hey, no problem, Kerry. Thanks for your time. All right, man. Okay, Chris, that was fun, man. Whew, I'm glad it was that question. I feel semi-prepared for that with my story over the last little while. And that's true. Uh, we have got Jeff Henderson and Jeff Brody on the podcast soon. And uh, that'll be a fun conversation when that happens. So uh, in the meantime, thank you, listeners. Two years. This has been incredible. The best is yet to come. I'm so pumped for that. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for leaving listener reviews. And hey, it's going to be fun to dive into your questions over the next six days. And then we are back seven days from now with a brand new episode. In fact, we are going to hear from Dan Ryland, who is the godfather of all executive pastors. I mean, this was this interview with Casey was amazing. Next week's interview is amazing. My head was spinning for days talking to Dan Ryland. He's worked for over 20 years with John Maxwell, has wisdom in his own right. You're going to love it. And again, if you subscribe, you'll get it. Also coming up on the podcast, Kara Powell, Ben Snyder, Tony Morgan, Chuck Swindoll, so many more. It's going to be a lot of fun. And again, the top 10 episodes of all time in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 105. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week. Actually, we'll see you tomorrow. And I hope this episode has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.